Howdy folks, today we're going to talk about how preachers or otherwise known as evangelists are not the way, truth, and the life. Now, I don't want to downplay the work of gospel preaching, the work of an evangelist. I do that work. Uh, I don't want to downplay it because the scriptures point out the importance, the significance of those that preach the gospel as it relates to salvation. In Romans 10, 14 through 17, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I understand that importance. And I do not want to create an imbalanced look at those who have dedicated their lives to preaching the gospel. I can tell you from the scriptures first and then my own experience, the work of a, of a preacher is highly undervalued by most people. And, and it is pretty often that those who are faithful to preaching the gospel get mistreated. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15 told the Corinthians, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. That is common, unfortunately. Uh, we see it in the life of Jesus, the apostles, faithful gospel preachers that have lived throughout the generations. And unfortunately, some of that comes from even those that would be identified as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I do not intend for this lesson to downplay the work of those that preach the gospel or to create some kind of imbalance where all of a sudden gospel preachers are perceived as enemies. But this is also an important subject because there tends to be two extremes. I am dealing with one extreme in this particular lesson. The two extremes are... Preachers are severely undervalued and mistreated and poorly treated and all those things. I don't tend to preach on that side very often or teach on that side very often because I know people and people would tend to just look at that as, hey, this is your personal gripe session. So I'll leave the scriptures to you for that. On the other end, though, there is an extreme and that extreme is what we're going to deal with today where those that preach the gospel are too trusted, too highly lifted up, uh, looked at as men above where their position ought to put them. Now, it is not necessarily wrong. And, and you know, when, when you hear people make statements, they'll say, oh, you're just a follower of a man. Well, just a follower of a man, okay, that's a problem. But to follow men is not necessarily a problem. The Apostle Paul, in writing the Corinthians, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 14 through 17, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. For this cause, I send unto you Timotheus, 
who is my beloved son and faith in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways. Notice this, which be in Christ, as I teach it, everywhere in every church. So he, he uses some hyperbole, says they have 10,000 instructors in Christ. Obviously, that's not literal. Point being, there are many people preaching and teaching, yet Paul had uh, a relationship with the Corinthians, having been the one to initiate the gospel in Acts 18 in Corinth. Uh, and he wanted them, desired them, and rightfully so, follow me. And when I send Timothy, who, you know, when you read First and Second Timothy, Timothy is referred to his own son in the faith. Uh, I'm going to send Timothy. He's going to teach my ways, but it's not just his ways. It's his ways, which be in Christ. So follow me. Look unto me as an example, as one who is teaching the gospel. And then Timothy, again, his beloved son in the faith, First uh, Timothy 1 and verse 2 is how he refers to Timothy is the son of faith, and, and Titus he refers to in the same way in Titus 1 verse 4. Uh, but that being said, follow me. In the book of Hebrews, the 13th chapter, the 7th verse, talking about those who have rule over you, we know that would apply to an elder, for example, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Remember them which have rule over you, who have spoken to you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So you can follow those that are teaching you, that are instructing you. When we look at instructions to gospel preachers like Timothy and Titus, who were gospel preachers or otherwise known as evangelists, both meaning the same things, they were told to be examples to others. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, it says, Let no man despise thy youth, be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Ne neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed in thyself, and in the doctrine continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So part of how a gospel preacher helps people to be saved isn't just the preaching of the word, but living his life as a pattern, as an example for others to be able to follow. Similarly, Titus in Titus 2, 7 and 8, and all things showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, meaning in teaching, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So be an example. Live as an example. Pattern yourself. Give, give, make yourself a pattern for others to be able to follow. One that is uncorrupt in teaching, sincere speech that can't, can't be condemned. Live above reproach is what these gospel preachers are told. And of course, there's that qualifier that we, we kind of talked about a little bit when we, when we looked at 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17. But Paul makes it really clear in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. I, I like to visualize this, right? You look at a line of people, and here you've got this teacher here, and he's 
he's leading you and you're following him, can you kind of peek out around him and look down further in the line all the way to the head? Do you see Jesus there? If you don't, stop following, right? That That's the way I visualize the wording in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. Now that Paul, who said, be ye followers of me, also dealt with the imbalance that I intend to deal with and, and some of the areas of trouble that I intend to deal with in this lesson. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the first six verses, Paul, by inspiration, pens, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have his praise of God. And these things, brethren, have I in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. So when you look at these instructions, hey, we're ministers of Christ. We're stewards of the mysteries of God, or in other words, stewards of the things that God has revealed. Look at this and understand this, but don't follow men above what's written. Don't follow anything above what is written. The scriptures are the standard. When Jesus was talking to the apostles and he commissioned them to take the gospel into the world, he said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, meaning authority, is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lying with you always, even under the world. Now, we could get into this a little bit deeper and we won't for the intent purpose of this particular lesson, but the apostles were guided directly by the Holy Spirit into all truth, John 16, 13. The things that Jesus had taught them were brought to remembrance, John 14 and verse 26. So when they were teaching the words of Christ, They were teaching what the Holy Spirit was revealing unto them of things that were brought to remembrance that Jesus had sent to them. What we're to do later from that, what we're to do with that today, is take those things that are inspired and teach them. You know, when you think about what Paul wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, I love these two passages. They're very clear and have great application unto us today. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Are these the words of Christ? Is it the will of our Lord? Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished 
unto all good works. So those that teach the gospel and those that hear the gospel are bound to the inspired word of God. That's the standard. Thus, men that are out teaching, if you were to continue reading just a few more verses from 2 Timothy 3.17 to 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul told Timothy in that same context, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Preach the word is the point. Now, there is room and certainly a need for those that teach the gospel and preach the gospel to be able to help people understand it. And, and under the old law, when Ezra, the scribe, was standing and teaching and opening the book in the sight of the people in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8 says, So they read the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So sometimes there's a necessity to give some explanation. But that explanation has to be true to the word of God. The primary teaching source needs to be God's word. If you're not explaining God's word, if you're not helping somebody to understand it, and you're just using your own words, you're not preaching the word of God. Paul told Timothy, or not Timothy, but Titus in Titus 2.1, speak thou the things which become, the word means befit, sound doctrine. And we think about the word sound. Think about that from the standpoint if you go to a doctor and a doctor says you are sound in health. I don't know if they speak in those terms much this day, but that's what the word there means. Sound means to have sound health, to be well, to be uncorrupt, to be safe and sound, true, wholesome. Uh, it's a Greek word that is something like ho and ho or something like I don't remember, something like that. Uh, uh, Think about that term, you know, is what I'm hearing befitting of wholesome, uncorrupt teaching? How is that? Can I hold it up to the word of God and it stands true from the beginning to the conclusion? Is it consistent with God's will? Now, I titled this lesson, Preachers Are Not the Way, Truth, and Life for a Reason. There are a lot of people that will hang on the words of those that preach the gospel as though that man is authoritative in some way and as though that man on his own is able to save them. That is wrong. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When a man is standing so that Jesus is behind him, and you're listening to him, you're not going to heaven. Think about that. When the man is standing in front of Jesus instead of behind Jesus, think about those men who may preach a 30-minute sermon, and they use one scripture. Is that preaching the word? They use two or three. Is that really preaching the word. Now again, I understand giving an explanation like we talked about in Nehemiah 8, 8, helping somebody to understand. But 30 seconds of God, God's word and 29 and a half minutes of your own words is not preaching the word. You can use God's word as a commentary and you can help people understand the word of God through the word of God. 
When we think about who we come to and how people elevate men, people will look at men and say, I want, I want to listen to you. I want to hear you. I have literally had many people over the years tell me, you use too many scriptures. How is that possible? How do you not understand that salvation lies in God's words, not mine or any other man's? See, we don't come to preachers. We come to Jesus. Think about that invitation in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We just talked about this in Sunday's podcast. And looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we come unto Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. We don't come unto the man. We may come to Jesus through the preaching that a man does of the word of God, but we're coming unto Jesus. And Hebrews, the seventh chapter, oh, I love this. I love this context. When you studies, when you study, so when you studies, wow. When you study Hebrews chapter four, five, six, and seven, and you think about the priesthood of Jesus, Hebrews 7, 22 through 25 says, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them that the othermost that come to God by him, seeing he liveth ever liveth to make intercession for them. Think about what that says. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Jesus is the door, not the preacher. We find Jesus through the gospel, not the preacher. And again, thanks be to God for those men that dedicate their time to the study and declaration of God's word to be a tool, but that is what men like myself are. We are tools. That's it, just tools. We are not the way, truth, and life. Jesus is. You get to the Father through Jesus. The greatest of faithful men that live on earth, that have taught the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are not the Savior. Let that sink into your, to your mind a little bit. They are not the Savior. And, and when you think about, I, I, I want to I take a couple of different points from this statement from the scriptures. When you think about some of the things that, like Jesus said, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 28, where he said, I said unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not greater prophet than John the Baptist. So here's a statement. Among those born of women. So among men in the flesh, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But notice where Jesus puts John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist died before the church was established in Acts 2. So Jesus, from that statement... Luke 7, 28 continues, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. 
Now think about the work that John did. John, John was the one handpicked by God, prophesied of. You know, when you think about being prophesied of, being the one that crieth in the wilderness, Isaiah 40 and verse 3, he was prophesied of. Malachi 3.1, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Uh, the messenger of the covenant whom he delight. Behold, he shall come to the Lord of hosts. Prophesied of. Matthew 3.3 points that out. This John that preached, repent ye, the kingdom of heaven. was prophesied. But you know what? The least of the members in the kingdom are greater than John. From Acts 2 forward. So where does that put men who preach the gospel? Here's a man selected by God that the prophets foresaw and spoke of. But he's not elevated. He's not elevated. Now, when it comes to salvation, even though John came preaching and prepared the way, people didn't come to the Father by him. Even though the apostles went out and took the gospel to the world, None of them were the saviors, right? And, and as important as they are, without the apostles, the gospel doesn't get preached. I get it, but they're not the saviors. Listen to the apostle Peter, Acts 4, 10 through 12. Be it known unto you, all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you have crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This was a man that Peter and John had healed in Acts 3. He says, this is the stone which is set at not of you builders, which has become head of the corner. Hey, this is our lesson on Sunday in 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8. We're going to come back and talk about that, which has become head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. Did you hear that? For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It doesn't matter how much of a good example that gospel preacher is, you know, People today, they like to talk more highly about the Apostle Paul than they do Jesus. It is such a disservice to Paul, let alone our Lord. Like you're dethroning Jesus when you talk about the Apostle Paul like he is Jesus. We're not saved by Paul. We're saved by Jesus. We're not saved by faithful men of the gospel today. I hope somewhere along the line somebody appreciates my work. I know a lot of people don't, but I hope somewhere along the line somebody does. But hey, you're not saved through me or by me. No way. You could find the Lord without me ever being in your life because the gospel is still there. In Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great gospel preacher that baptized you. Nope. It's not what it says. It says the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself, purify unto himself a peculiar people, 
zealous of good works. You're not saved by the gospel preacher. You're saved by the Lord Jesus. 1 John 4, 14. We have seen and do testify. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. A lot of people involved in the declaration of the gospel from the first century till now and the preparation of it from the prophets of old forward. But only one man that you can credit to your salvation. That is the man who was God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Yet, even though a lot of people will voice, I'm saved by Jesus, I have faith in Jesus, it has long been a problem, even among Christians, not just the world of false religion, to want to be followers of men. Think about the congregation in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that y'all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And by the way, this is Paul writing. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Look, <laughs> I, I love this. I'll come back to it. Let me keep reading. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I, I love when Paul said, I baptize also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptize any. As if this is not important, folks. Isn't that what you get from reading that? When I was preaching in Christianburg, Virginia in 1999, there was a man named Lowell there. He had preached in that area for 60-some years. And one time I went to his house, and I was uh, hoping to learn from him and I did learn some good things and, and learn some things not to do as well. And one of the things that I did learn from him not to do is he had a book going, I mean, way back in time, long before I was born and before my parents were born, to where he had a list of names from the first person all the way down with dates and places of people he baptized. And at that time, I asked him, I said, Lowell, isn't this exact problem that wasn't addressed by, by Paul to the church in Corinth? Oh no, the front of this book said, my children. Now I get it. We, I talked about earlier, I'm not trying to be extreme here. You know, there's balance. Paul calls Timothy and Titus his own sons in the faith. There is an endearment between a teacher and those that they teach, and there better be. 
for a man to be good and effective in helping people to get to heaven, that man has to have affection. You know, when you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, for example, we, we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherishes her children. So we being affectionately desirous of you, we're willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also your own, our own souls because you're dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, laboring night and day because we not be chargeable to any of you as we preach unto you the gospel of God. I mean, like this is care. You know, when you look at verse 11, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. This is care. This is, you know, parental affection. And that is truly needed if a man is going to help people get to heaven through teaching them the gospel. But it is heavily abused when you put the focus on baptism and not on teaching. And when you look at them as your disciples instead of the Lord's disciples. And what Lowell was doing. And, and, and I asked him this, and, and this was telling. I asked him, I said, how many of these people have you kept in touch with? Hardly none. Well, that's not what Paul did with Timothy, Titus, the people in Thessalonica, Corinth, etc., right? So it's not the same thing. When he called him my children, he was talking, basically, I baptized you. This is a significant point. How terrible that is. And it is the exact opposite of the way the apostle Paul was. Folks, the problem in Corinth wasn't Paul's doing. It was the people's doing. They wanted to exalt the per person that baptized them. And preachers contribute to that. But Paul didn't. And because that mentality exists, it makes people easy prey. In 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, Paul says in the second epistle to Corinth, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity of, that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which we have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. They were so caught up in men that they might have followed a false teacher or false spirit. It's, it's wrong. And it's rooted in carnality. And that carnal mind makes you not only susceptible to false doctrine, but to sin. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6, I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither are you now able. For ye are yet carnal. For where is this among you envying and strife and divisions? Are you not carnal and walk as men? For a while one saith, I am of Paul, and another of I am of Paul. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul's words are, don't follow men and don't glory in men. If you go down to the end of the chapter, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 23, let no man deceive himself. If any among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, 
The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word, world or life or death or things present or things come. All are yours. You are Christ and Christ is God's. So Paul said, put things in perspective. Don't be deceived. Don't glory in men. Don't. It all comes back to the Lord. Well, even with those warnings, though, false teachers are still effective. They're still effective because people will exalt them and look at them. You know, in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, there's a lot here. Um, I want to pull out a couple of things. It says, there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So there's that promise to those that Peter's addressing and certainly applicable today. Notice, who privily shall bring them damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall evil be spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with faint words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and whose damnation slumbereth not. So they're going to bring in damnable heresies, which is the party spirit. We just had a discussion here in, in our Luke class in El Paso within the last few weeks, and, and we were talking about you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and just the party spirit and how people so easily then and, and even through today fall into certain parties, like among those that profess to be Christians, groups of preachers they follow, papers that they read, colleges that have no authority to exist that they associate with and esteem very highly. And they fall into these parties. And because of that, it makes false teachers empowered. And those that would follow them very easily brought under their control. So many follow them. Many follow their pernicious ways. And then they're made to be merchandise of you. If you continue down later in that context... 2 Peter 2.18 says, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them that who live in error. So great spelling words of vanity. You know what people do? They end up admiring these men for their speaking ability, admiring these men for the words that they speak. And they think so highly of them that they're they're easily taken into their captivity because they just, they think so highly of them. Jude said, Jude verse 16, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. So they, they gain the advantage over people because people admire them. They look up to them. They think, wow, this person is such a great, gospel preacher. Look at him, look at him, and they become followers of men. They, they get caught up in, in that man and his abilities. Paul warned in Romans 16, 17, 18, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So naive people are easily deceived by them. You need to be aware of this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, not that gospel preacher that you seem to be so caught up in. Don't let that happen to you.
And I, hey, I tell people that I teach this all the time. Do me a favor. Don't put me on a pedestal. I don't want to be there. I don't want to stand in front of Jesus. I want to stand behind him. I want to be pushing him to you, not pushing me to you. It's not about the preacher. It's about the Lord. And when you start to fall to a position where that man becomes so great in your eyes, you're going to get blinded. You're going to get blinded. And they're going to do things that are just wrong by taking advantage of you. When you think about the warnings, you know, Jude writes, and Jude, the first four verses, he says he's the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. He says, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write of you the common salvation, so his initial intent was to write about salvation, it was needful me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why, Jude? Why did you write this? He says, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord unto lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the idea that you keep seeing about creeping in or unaware or having people admire. These things, if you are going to get caught up in men, are going to make you more susceptible to not being able to see the person that's creeping in with impure motives. And you know, sometimes those people come from reputable sources. In Acts 15, if you read the chapter, there, there was a problem where men had come down from Judea to Antioch and they brought the doctrine that you need to hold the law of Moses and circumcise Gentiles who had been converted. In Acts 15, 24, as the, the saints in Jerusalem, the apostles were involved, says, for as much as we heard that certain men went out from us, have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. So the idea would be these men came from Jerusalem. They must be faithful. No, that doesn't mean anything. If they're going to creep in unaware, they could come from faithful brethren and those faithful brethren be unaware of who they truly are. Think about Judas among the disciples, right? Who betrayed Jesus. And then they could go and do things. Think about name droppers. There was a man years ago, oh, back in the early 2000s, I met him. I, was, I went preaching, visited preaching in Virginia. And the man's name was Antoine Holloway. And over the course of time, uh, I met him when I was preaching at a place and we kept in touch and developed a little bit of a friendship, but then he decided he wanted to be a gospel preacher, and I advised him against it uh, for various reasons. I'll just leave it at that because that's not the excuse me purpose of our lesson. But he ended up contacting groups of people, and later down the road, I found out that he used my name. I never thought he should be preaching the gospel. And nobody ever contacted me and said, hey, this man used you as a reference because I would have said, no, he's not ready to preach the gospel. Number one, he didn't fully know the truth at that time. Number two, he had some personal issues that were going to get in the way. 
Well, he dropped my name. Well, he ended up causing division and destroying a congregation um, up in Indiana. And our friendship ended rather quickly because I went up to meet him face to face and he wouldn't even talk to me. And he taught unconditional forgiveness. I have the audio files of that, among other things. Got up in the pulpit, said he was Superman, all kinds. I didn't want my name associated with it, but he dropped it anyway. When those people contacted me, I told them, no, I, I never recommended that you should bring him there as an evangelist. I went up there. I wanted to clear my name as much as deal with Antoine at the time. There are other times where when I was in Pennsylvania, um, I knew a gospel preacher that was here in the state of Texas, and he recommended to me a preacher named David Bonner to come up and, and help preach. I, uh, I needed some help up there and thought having an older preacher come in and, and preach some things. Well, this man came highly recommended by a couple of people that I had come to know and appeared to me to be faithful. But when he came up there, I remember when this was, it was uh, 2001, uh, and well, he stayed with me. And, and let me tell you, um, the recommendations did not hold up once I got to know him a little bit. Uh, so, so what? Somebody comes from a reputable source. Maybe they're highly recommended. That doesn't mean that they're faithful. You cannot just say, hey, because this person came from here or was recommended by, that means this person is good. That doesn't mean anything. Maybe they've just put on a good show for those other people, right? We got to be cautious. I, 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 we're going to talk about, before we wrap up, how not to be deceived and the work that's involved. And, and I'll hold that for that point. And another way of looking at this, sometimes people look at those that would bring about another doctrine as though it would be easy to spot, like it would be some whole new doctrine. Now, that's not accurate either. There are people that will use Bible terms, that will use scriptures, that will twist them, right? Some people twist scriptures, 2 Peter 3, 15 through 17, to teach not an entirely new doctrine, but a perversion of the gospel. In Galatians 1, 6, and 7, Paul says to the churches of Galatia, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. Notice that, which is not another. That means it was not a whole entire different doctrine. It was just a perversion. As you read through Galatians, part of that was that you needed to be circumcised. Well, can you go in the Bible? And show circumcision? Sure. Beginning in Genesis 17 and throughout the old law, you can so show circumcision for a purpose and a reason that came to conclusion in Christ. But those that wanted to teach it kept teaching it. Did they have adequate scripture to be able to do so? Sure. But those scriptures were done away in the sense of authority on the cross, nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. People weren't easily taken by it though those that would come in bringing another doctrine that you might just think so highly of, they're going to use cunning craftiness. In Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 14, the context here is maturing beyond the time of spiritual gifts. In that context, Ephesians 4, 14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Listen, those that would teach error that come in with that intent, 
They're skilled at doing so. They're cunning. They're crafty. If you are a person that will get caught up in the man, you're going to be taken very easily by that person's cunning craftiness. And be sure of this. If that happens to you, God is not going to find you righteous. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, when you follow people into error, you're held accountable for it. Isaiah 9, 16, the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. In Matthew chapter 15, when there were those that were teaching the traditions of men and, and were contrary to the doctrine of Christ, Matthew 15, 14, Jesus said to the disciples, let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind, and the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. See, our Lord's not going to say, oh, I understand you were duped. Nope. He's not going to say that. You're going to fall with those that are teaching the error. In Colossians chapter 2, 18 through 23, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his flesh and mind, and not holding the head, from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together, increase with increase God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why is, though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all the perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting the body, not in any honor to the satisfying the flesh. So these things are carnal, they're after men, but they appear to show some wisdom. They appear to have some elements of right. right? That's where the cunning craftiness comes in. Well, they are to perish with the using. So listen up. It's up to you not to be deceived. This is harder if you get caught up in men, if you think he's a great speaker. Wow, he's he's dedicated his life to the gospel. Wow, he has so much knowledge. This guy is so amazing. He didn't go to the cross for you. It's up to you not to be deceived. Ephesians 5, 6 to 11, let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable in the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So we have clear instructions from Old to New Testament, like Proverbs 19.27, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. And Jeremiah 29, verses 8 and 9, says, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. Neither hearken to your dreams, which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have sent them not, saith the Lord. In Matthew 16, New Testament, 6 through 12. Then said Jesus unto them, that is to his disciples, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reason among themselves, saying, is it because we have no bread? Which when Jesus perceived, he said to them, oh, you have little faith. Right reason yourselves because you have brought no bread. Do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? 
not the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many baths you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Colossians 2, we read from the end of the chapter just a few moments ago, listen towards the beginning, verses 4 through 8 of Colossians 2. This I say, lest any man shall beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of the world, or the tradition of men, rather, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You know, if you just take a few moments and you break down some of the wording that I just read unto you, to beware of being spoiled, to think about what that means, like taken away as, as a booty to be, seduced, to be seduced. If you think about the word philosophy, it, it, it's, it's like sophistry, where somebody might be skillful in some form of knowledge. Don't fall for that. They may sound good. They may, may seem like they, they have all kinds of understanding of what they're talking about. And you know, the kind of people that fall for this is the kind of people that when they see somebody who has a doctorate's degree, whether legitimately or honorary doctor's degree, and they listen to them because it's doctor so-and-so. Colossians 2, 4 through 8 is saying, run from that guy. Run from that guy. That doctor's degree, he's using that for a reason. He wants you to give him credibility. Don't give him credibility. In fact, the opposite. Be more worried about what he has to present. Why is he wearing this doctorate's degree as some source of credibility? Here is the only credibility a gospel preacher needs in his teaching. Now, there's two sides of this. There's his lifestyle, what we talked about earlier, being an example of. But just in the form of teaching, and that in the form of teaching, the only credibility it needs is, thus saith the Lord. It is written. Here it is in the Bible, right? Truth is not going to be established because this man has an education or not. It's the word of God. That's the power unto salvation, not his education. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5 says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Wherefore cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth. Notice this. Supposing it gains godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Get away from that guy. Now the work involved here involves not only looking at what the man is teaching, but back to our earlier point in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, 11 and following, or not 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, 11 and, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, 12 through 16, and Titus 2, 7 through 8. If I remember correctly, we used that earlier in our, in our podcast. But look at this man and what he teaches, yes, 
and how he lives as well. Matthew 7, 50 through 20. Beware of false prophets. What come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down cast in fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Notice it's not by their works, but by their fruits. Planting a tree. How long do you know before what kind of fruit it's going to produce? Whether it's going to be good or bad. It's going to take time, right? Get to know the man. Look at his life. Get to know him. Think about people that know him. How intimately do they know him? I've talked to people over the years that believed they were, were following a faithful gospel preacher. And as I asked them questions, have you ever been to his house? No. Do you know where he lives? No. How much time have you spent with him in person outside of him preaching? Little to none. Okay, what do you really know about him? What do you really understand about him? How long has he been married to his wife? Don't know. What do you mean you don't know? What's she think of him? <laughs> you know, what, what's the man's wife think of him? What's his children think of him? How, how are these things playing out over time? What's he hiding? Anything? Is he, is he living in a glass house? Does he open the curtains? Get to know him. Then, Take, for example, what Jesus did in John 5. The Jews thought he was wrong. So he told them in verse 39, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and there they which testify me. So the man's conduct is right. Next thing, and not putting these in this order, just saying these two separate things, is what he's saying in accordance with the scriptures. How does he feel about being questioned? I've known a lot of people over the years that have sat in different assemblies and different congregations, and they would ask questions. And the preacher would say, that's not what we're talking about today. Now, I do understand that there are times where questions are to be avoided. 2 Timothy 2.23 teaches that. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing they do gender strife. And I also understand the need to stay on point and that there are people that want to ask questions with impure motives. In fact, we just studied this here in El Paso on Sunday where the lawyers and, and the Pharisees and the scribes were talking with Jesus in Luke eleven fifty three and 54. As he said these things, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently, to provoke him to speak of many things, lying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. I So I'm not saying that gospel preachers or teachers in a class should answer any and all questions all the time. There are obviously times not to. But just hear me out. What about the man that just will not permit questions unless they're right in line with what he's teaching. What about that? When the discussion is being controlled, 
How does that allow you to prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, what you're commanded to do in 1 Thessalonians 5.21? What if he won't meet with you and allow you to ask questions? I get people that get shocked. They call me up and I answer the phone. And it's almost like they don't know what they were expecting an answering machine or a secretary. You know, no preacher in the New Testament ever had a secretary, by the way. Just saying. And they're shocked that I answer the phone and that I will actually talk to them and answer their questions. And there are times where they're members of a congregation and the guy that's preaching there, they can't ever get a hold of him. That's amazing to me. That should tell you something. How are you going to prove what he's teaching if he'll not talk to you, if he'll not make himself available? People often talk about the Brian spirit. What do they mean by that? In Acts 17, 10, 11, the brethren sent away Paul and Silas by night. They come to Berea in the synagogue of the Jews. And they were more noble than the people in Thessalonica because they received the word with readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Do you do that? Do you look out? Do you test? Do you search? You know, it's not that hard to do. Take some notes. Go back and compare them with other scriptures. Test the conclusions. Does it hold up? In 1 John 4, there's the discussion in the context of that epistle about the spirit of Antichrist, which was present then, and all that means is against Christ. There were many Antichrists then, just as there is today. I know there are people that are looking for an antichrist. There is no such teaching in the Bible. If you read First and Second John, that's where you read that language. There were many then, and we're not waiting for others to come. First John 2.18, 2.22, 4.3, and Second John verse 7 is where you can find those references. Well, in that context of the spirit of antichrist, First John 4.1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether of God, Many false prophets have gone out in the world. Test. The work involved in not being deceived is test, test, test. Test the man. Test the teaching. Do both. Do both. Test him. Test the teaching. Keep him on his toes. And if he's a faithful teacher of God's word, he'll not care that you've done so. He'll thank you for it. It'll help him keep faithful himself. Questions are not bad. They are good. Make sure that you are not looking as a man as the way, the truth, and the life, unless it is that man who is also deity and is deity, Christ Jesus. Make sure that who you're listening to is handling the word of God correctly. You know, Paul told the preacher slash evangelist Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 18, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words of no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study, that it that means to be diligent, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth of error, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. So what Timothy was to teach 
is don't don't get in arguments about words of no profit. Be diligent to be a workman that's not ashamed. Rightly divide the word of truth. Timothy was to 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 do these things, to teach these things, to shun and profane and vain babblings. Think about why Hymenius and Philetus were able to do what they were able to do because people did not test. These men taught that the resurrection already had occurred. And of course that would overthrow faith because the hope of a Christian, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is in the resurrection. We're looking forward to the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls in the resurrection, 1 Peter 1, 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Don't become the prey. There are a lot of predators. And all they want you to do is just trust me. Well, don't. Trust the word of God. That man is not your savior. Jesus is. That man is not the way. Jesus is. That man is not the truth. Jesus is. I hope this lesson has helped remind some of you what you ought to be doing in your diligent studies of God's Word. I hope that there are some of you out there that have been enlightened a little bit by the scriptures that we have talked about in this lesson. I'm thankful that you've tuned in to listen. I hope I've been helpful in some kind of a way. Uh, Our next podcast, Fall Goes According to Plan, will be on Sunday. Uh, where we are going to aim to look at 1 Peter 2, 6-8. I want to remind you of one more thing before I let you go. I'm starting an online class, the Book of Romans. We're going to be using the Zoom app. I'll invite you to join that if you would text me. My phone number and email are available and wherever you are getting this podcast, if you just look at the information there. Uh, You could go to the website, www.wordsoftruth.net. Text me or email me. Give me your email address. We're going to have a test run on December 7th where we're going to make sure we get all these things done right. Part of that is for my sake as well because I've never used Zoom. So um, I've messed around with a little bit of recent, but I've not done anything real with it. Uh, But we're going to have an hour-long class starting on December 14th. But Get a hold of me soon so I can add you to that email list. You can be in the test on December 7th where you'll be able to see the faces of the others that are going to join that class. And we'll study Romans and you'll be able to ask questions and we'll go through verse by verse and it's going to take us years. So I hope you'll join for that. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'll say goodbye.